you ever shaped your own surfboard, Rob? I haven't, nope. No, not me, but I kind of feel like I want to after that. Uh, interesting discussion with Luke Young. Really detailed. Um, believe it or not, it is apparently possible to know how one type of masking tape might bend in one way or another. Would you have ever thought of that kind of stuff? Um, I can't say I ever have, but having heard Luke describe it, I, I can I can picture what he's on about, certainly. Amazing. With those those shaper conversations, there is just so much you can sort of say about the art of surfboard manufacture. Wonderful stuff. So with no further ado for the listeners, here it is. It's Luke. It's one of the least understood and most challenging skills within the surf world. As true hand shaping becomes an increasingly rare process, we'll speak to one of the UK's genuine master craftsmen. He might be one of the finest at hand making a board from start to finish, but that's not all. He's a hell of a surfer too. Welcome to Cress, Luke Young. Yes, he's here with us. It's the South Coast shaping talisman, Luke Young. How's I'm things? good. I'm good. You all right, boys? Good. Hey, Luke. Yeah, man, I'm doing all right. It's, uh, it's nice to see you. It's been a while. Now, mm-hmm. I know you've suffered Tom's company a lot in the last few decades, so yeah. this is more for the listeners mm-hmm. than for the guests. But as is custom, let me start off with the necessary introductions to the Crest team. To my left, the founder of the online Welsh language evening course, Dusky Dusk. The intensive Welsh language, language course promised to teach you Welsh in 61 days, with lessons taking place each day at twilight. However, his dreams of a linguistical livelihood were dashed when the new kids on the block learned Welsh in 60 days and to cut in by 24 hours. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? I'm all right. Yeah, thanks for that. I've been trying to keep that one a secret. And to my right, well, you may have heard of the best-selling book and later Hollywood blockbuster starring Ewan McGregor, Trout Fishing in the Yemen. Well, did you know that the whole concept was in fact shamelessly purloined from an original hair-brained escapade in our very own southeast Wales's Newport Basin. Well, it's true, and to this day much underpublicized, since the place does, after all, have a set of litter-garnished Roman ruins to bring in the tourists instead. Anyway, for those still interested, the ambitious but ultimately failed project, Stickleback Netting in the Isca, was, of course, the thought child of none other than the dream medium entrepreneur who now joins us in the virtual studio, it's Robert Webster Blythe. <laughs> it's uh, long-winded. It, it was quite, it was, it we did actually, come out longer than I planned, uh, didn't it? Yeah. A few points to make again, as always. Um, we do get the odd trout at the Usk rather than the Isker, but we're actually more known for our salmon. And when was the last time you went down the Roman ruins? <laughs> uh, I took a school trip down there last year. <laughs> yeah, it's flooded though. The amphitheater no. was flooded, unfortunately. I, I put the Roman ruins in there for Luke because, uh, as we're going to learn later in the show, he's a big fan of the Goldilocks chain. And, my sister, uh, you'll be pleased to know, Luke, my sister was in school with two of them. Really? Yes. Which, uh, which ones? Um, oh, what's his name? With it the don't two, matter. That's the just two a good bags. story. <laughs> the the, the maggot? No, no, no. The, the one with the longer hair and the glasses and the two headbands. Oh, two hats. <laughs> two hats. No, no, two hats. 
<laughs> two actors from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'll explain to you, Luke. We do this little intro thing, me and Rob do, where we like try and sort of, you know, have a little skit about each other. And then uh, what we're doing now is we're asking the guest to decide who the winner was. Now, last week, Harry Cromwell sat on the fence, but we're hoping you might show a bit of cojones this week. So, uh, who, who was best out of us? <clears throat> well, it depends what attributes we're looking at, isn't it? <laughs> Um, to get all what you come out with in one lungful, it's got to be you know, pretty good. But Rob's is just uh, like, like the other um, podcasts you've done. Rob's is clean, to the point, smart, sophisticated, intelligent. I'm going with Rob. Yeah, that, exactly. I was looking yeah. at the other side of the, the side of the. All right, we've done a more traditional one for you, Luke. Oh, yeah. Welcoming Luke to our podcast today, we're anticipating a revealing discussion of the mysterious world of the Shaping Bay. With two decades of experience and some 10,000 boards to his name, Luke is one of the UK's top talents with the planer, a genuine jack of all trades in surfboard making. Luke has also been known to adeptly glass spray laminate any stage of the process if need be. In fact, some of the artwork on Luke's boards has turned heads all the way from the car park to the shoreline. And when the boards project out of the lip line. Based in Plymouth, Luke's journey into surfing and shaping is a tale of dedication and, above all, stoke. Yeah, as he often reminds me, uh, especially when he catches me supporting England's opponents in team mm. sporting events, he and I share a Hertfordshire as a birthplace. Mm-hmm. Um, after moving to, to the South Coast, though, in his late teens, Luke began shaping almost immediately, fostering a homegrown surfboard making enterprise, which still specializes in a daily output of custom boards. It's a journey that has afforded him the chance to brush with many of the sport's most interesting figures, both famous and underground. As a surfer, Luke is, like our previous guests, usually recognizable by his infectious energy in the lineup. An appetite for the heavier stuff has also seen him develop uh, Quite a taste for risk and adrenaline, uh, matched also on both the mountain and the skate ramp. And he is even an armchair f- uh, fan of motocross. No, that's Speedway. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was fighting talk, that wasn't it? His, his shaping and surfing lives, uh, yeah, and I should know because I've actually been yeah, to watch yeah. it with you in a stadium, yeah, haven't I? Yeah. His shaping and surfing and surfing lives have, have taken in a range of countries and experiences, many of which uh, we're looking forward to hearing about in the coming hour or so. So yes, let me say it again. Thanks for coming on the show, Lou. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All good. Hey, we, we, uh, I know someone that, uh, used to race Speedway. Do you? Yeah. Lived but fast. Wasp. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was about to say he lived fast, died young, but he's still alive. What's his and name? he's quite old now. Uh, I don't know. I just know his nickname is Chubb. Oh, okay. All right. He's a, yeah. He's, yeah a, so... he's a sparky. How is he? Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> so moving from the south coast, from landlocked Hertfordshire, mm. with an interest in action sports, it's pretty normal to pick up a surf habit, but shaping and going on to make more than just a few hobby boards, starting a business straight off. How does someone in their early 20s decide to, to take that path? How did you get into it, Luke? It's, you know, it's much the same as I've read a couple of things um, by other people um, older than me doing my job and it's almost like a almost like a blueprint everyone said the same thing you know you you were young you go well I had a paper round and you know I think I was on a good week I might earn 12 pound a week you know um and you'd go down the beach as that youngster and you'd see people in the water and you 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 had to do it you had to have it but then you know the money comes into it then when you're that age 
in how much a surfboard costs, you're like, it's just sort of out of your grasp. Or it's not out of your grasp. You to save it all up is um, it takes it takes a long time. So um, and just being um, more uh, being sort of better. So it's better with my hands than than my concentration. And it was, I think, I think it was my mum who said that. Well, we just make one. And I remember sort of thinking, like, you can't do that. You know, what are you on about? Um, and and it's much the same as, like I said, other uh, other uh, shapers as well. Like you just you do just you just get on in there, you know. And and emails and phone calls I get from like young people who want to, you know, or want to get you know get into it, which is, I've got to say has dwindled a lot in the last couple of years, but. Um, when you get these phone calls and magic that I say it to them, you've just got to get in there. You've got to get on in there. You know, you, you've got to get yourself dusty. Um, like with everything else, you've got to get it wrong lots of times to get it right. Um, and I just, it, obviously I, it didn't, um, I didn't know as such in my head consciously, but subconsciously I obviously did really, really, really want to do it because I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I kept doing it, you know, um, to, a, you know, and then, you, you know, after a while, they, they're just horrible for a very, very long time because you don't know what you're looking for. You, you don't, you know. I, you just had to persuade people yeah, to write yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah well, to... it was just mostly me and my, me and my brother, really, um, because there was no persuading someone who, wanted, who knew what they wanted out of a board, who knew what they wanted it to look like and so forth. There is kind of no persuading them, really. So it was a case of just me, sort of my brother, riding them um, and, and then just getting on with it. and then. At the stage when I, I, I used the term loosely, had kind of got it, what I was really looking for, um, I started working in, in a surf shop. Um, and every day I was in the hardware department, like wetsuits and boards and, and bits and bobs. And, and every day I was staring at boards. Every day I was staring at boards shaped by, again, some of the, you know, some of the world's best shapers. Um, and that subconscious is obviously kicking in and, and the, the photographic memory thing and so forth. Um, so when I did leave work and I did go back home and, and I had the blank there, I could go, oh yeah. You know, when I'd left for work that morning, that board looked great, fine, no dramas at all. Then I'd gone to work and seen how a nose should really, really look. And then I went back in the evening and you're like, no, the nose isn't right. It's too thick or something like that, you know? So and it's just, it's literally just repetition. There is no other way than repetition. So it, it, I guess it started out of necessity then. Yeah. Shaping for yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I knew what I wanted under my feet, but I said well, on the paper round, it's quite hard to, to get that. Um, and yeah, and, and, and I loved it. I really, once I'd gotten covered in dust, I thought, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. It's, sorry, it's, it's nice to hear some, uh, another paper round anecdote linked with surfing. I had a paper round um, and I lost my job as a result of going surfing. I went to Cornwall uh, for a week, May half term, when I was, uh, I was pretty young at the time. and. Um, I left my paper round to a friend of mine to to carry on whilst I was away, but he gave up after two days and oh. uh, didn't didn't inform the news agent. No, and, uh, alas, I lost uh, my paper round. We've all made we've all made that mistake. I I, I asked Tristan Davis to deliver mm. the seaside news for me once, so I could go surfing, and he threw them all in. The <laughs> yeah, my wife and, uh, used to, my wife used to put them in like municipal bins. Um, and under her bed and then mother-in-law this is obviously this isn't really I wasn't married to her then um, mother-in-law found them mother-in-law found them like stacks and stacks of them underneath her bed and, and the younger brother's bed and she was kind of found out and yeah goodbye job yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's bring it back to surfing, back to you, surfing. Mentioned, you, yeah, you, yeah. Mentioned, you mentioned 
uh, being being covered in dust and, mm. and changing the shape on a whim. So mm. talk talk us through the process. How how do you go about making a board from scratch? Right. Um, depends which way you look at it. Um, back along then, when there was no shaping machines, it was uh, work out what dimensions you want, select your blank. Um, then with your planer, <clears throat> and at the time, the first planer I had was, uh, it was a, uh, it was a black and Decker from the index catalog shop, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the front, cause I'd seen what I'd seen pictures of shapers in shaping rooms with the, the handle on the front. I glued a wooden door handle on the front. So at least I had, well, initially it was because I wanted it to look good, but then when I did it, it, it felt it balanced, you know, you could, you could actually move it around you know, um, much, much easier. You know, it wasn't like you weren't yeah. sort of just holding the back of it. No. Um, and then you, yeah, it was just, you just strim that blank down pretty much to almost the thickness you're looking for. Um, smooth it all out a little bit, sand it off a bit, make it a bit smoother. Cut your template out where you saw. Um, then sort of bend your deck into your rail and, and then, then um, kick your tail up a little bring your nose up or bring your nose down depending on the rock you need and so forth uh and just refine it and then it's then then you go from your planer you go into sort of like a surf form and hand tools and the further 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 you go down you go from like gnarly sort of electric tools to to little sort of hand tools so, so you it end becomes up more refined as you as yeah you yeah, yeah absolutely and then you're finishing off with a with a gauze you know which is like course, um yeah yeah you know like a metal gauze and you just, you know, just to make it it's interesting what you, you said at the beginning of that that little passage then you said well, back then we did it bef- mm. like before machines. Now, mm-hmm. with, with the involvement of machines, how does yeah. it look? Um, do you know what? I, this is a real. This is an area where I could spend however long anybody wanted me to spend with somebody chatting it over. And arguing is the wrong word because it, it, it is how it is. Um, but the machines, um, they are they, they're just a massive great. They, they do not shape a whole surfboard for you. Right, let's just get that straight. They they are a they should be called a profiling machine. Um, they pretty much do most of the donkey work, right? So the running up and down with the planer, you know, all you know, all, all the stuff which you know you you do at the start is pretty much done by the machine, and obviously a lot more refined. Um, the the first machine I started using um, called the DSD that doesn't cut the bottom rail. So you've got the, the, the deck rolled down into the rail, but then that rail stopped halfway down the blank there. So you had a hard square edge, um, which as far as I was concerned is great because I'd wanna, I want to put that right, no, bottom edge. That's, that's hallowed ground. That area there, especially where it go, leads into where you, your fin cluster and all, that's, that, you know, that has to have attention put on it. That's the bit of the board that's exactly, always in the way. Exactly. You know, so that, that was all good. You know, it was fine. Um, and even to this day now, I mean, I do, you know, I, I do most of my work with the shaping machine now because I have so much to do. And just as the way surfboards and, and the industry has gone along, um, you use models now. You know, you have a model that does this, there's a model that does that, and blah, 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 you know, and it, it's easier, it's much easier for the um for the for the surfer who isn't the shaper and stuff to be able to sit, read, this model does this, this model does this this size, that, 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 this leaderage, all that. Um, so, it, and it takes away a lot of the, a lot of the donkey work and it leaves, it leaves that craftsman still um, the time in that shaping room to do the bit that really, really counts, you know? Um, like I said, that, the, the, the machine I'm using now or the two machines I'm using now, they are capable of doing that bottom rail, um, but I still don't have the bottom rails cut. That's, that's how it is. But the machine is, um, the machine is a great help. You know, a great help. 
So I could kind of add to the, well, I don't know if I'm adding to it or further in the debate here. Um, I was doing my research ahead uh, of talking to you and, and I found this from uh, Bo mm-hmm. Young, um, a picture on Instagram of a bunch of offcuts. And he says here, uh, pics from the bay outline offcuts. For me, hand shaping from a block of foam will always be a challenge, like learning any art or craft. If you're making boards and have not had a lot of these outline pieces floating around, you are not a shaper, <laughs> in my opinion. Call me old school, but if you can't hand shape all your models, you are simply a designer. And then he goes on to say, you must probably be aware of this. I want to thank all these legends in the game for their tips and help along the journey. And then uh, writes a little list of shapers, including um, Neil Purchase mm. Jr. Mm. on the Gold yeah. Coast, Donald Takayama, yeah. and he tags you okay. in it, Luke Young Surfboards. Cool. Thanks, bro. Um, so, uh, you know, Bo Young is, uh, he's a bit of a legend, he isn't is he? He's a good bloke, um, really good bloke, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I suppose that does sort of make me think a little bit of um, this mantra that, you know, you've, you've said uh, in the past, you know, that uh, good boards ain't cheap, uh, mm-hmm. cheap boards yeah. ain't good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's a manufacturing philosophy, and I suppose the hand shaping thing comes in there yeah, as well. Then, doesn't yeah, it? It, again, it all it, it all that argument stroke conversation will change from from group of people to group of people from group of people. You know, things in technology as a rule move forward. But I think um, what Bo said in there about being able to shape all of your models. I mean, that's something i'm very proud to say yeah it's not a problem to me it isn't a problem whatsoever you know um it's great because it goes back to where i started from i i'm reminded of of what it takes to shape a surfboard um rather than just design one um but at the end of the day when it when it does come to the machine if you're then in a different situation and people are going oh yeah well they're machines they do it all for you they do a great deal of it for you, but you've got to design it. You don't just sort of say to a machine, shape me a surfboard and it does it. You have to, you have to, somebody has to sit there and design that board um, and then put that design into that machine. You know what I mean? So it still takes somebody who knows kind of what they're looking for and what they're wanting to, to do that. I wouldn't say it's, it's a lost art as it were, you know, lots of people are, are still mowing as we call it with a planer. Uh, and I will always mow with a planer. We've discussed briefly, in the grand scheme of things, the the impact that the shaping machine has had on, or the the what what did you call it? Not the shaping machine. The what was your word for it back then? Ah, oh, the profiling the profiling machine. machine. The mm-hmm. profiling machine has had on shaping, but how about materials? How have materials changed in recent years? Of course, um, Clark Foam, Gordon Grubby Clark went through yeah. well, or ten ten years or so mm. ago. Ha, yeah. Have how has the surf industry reacted to that? And have you seen a, a shift perhaps towards more sustainable practices? Yeah, yeah. That um, Clark going pop actually opened the floodgates, to be honest. Um, there was, I think, back along when, in the Clark days, you could really only here, you could really only there. There was Clark, you could get Burford, and there was dribbles of Surf Blanks and dribbles of Bennett. But it was that Clark was mainly was the main thing you would go and, and buy, you know, you could, you could get that was being brought over from America. But when Clark did close up, it did open, it did open it up and a lot more different foams came in. Um, Clark foam is very, very, uh, most PU foam is, is dual density. I sort of get softer into the middle. Um, Clark did that quite considerably. You know, they, they used to specify that you shake most of your board from the bottom of the blank. So the harder foam was on the top where the feet were going to go. 
Um, so, but then other blanks came in that were, uh, you know, like just a little bit more solid and the stringers were kind of nicer. And then you're like, well, okay. Um, but then nothing, nothing really changed um, in the way of sort of the eco thing for a very, very, very long time after that. You know, um, there was, well, we had, we used to have in Red Ruth, um, uh, home blown. They were blowing foam down in Cornwall there, um, which was blown through water as opposed to TDIs. So the process was a lot, uh, the process was a lot better for the environment and everything. Um, the foam was, the foam was, was, was pretty good. You no, know, it was, it was, di- you knew it was different to the TDI foam. Um, but that was a step in the direction of, of getting, um, of, of getting it like a, a more eco-friendly foam. But then they also did do a bio foam. And unfortunately they, it was, it had that kind of moldy color to it, you know, and the, the, the horrible really, I guess, thing about surfing and surfers and stuff like the surfboard's got to be pop white, you know, it, it's just, Did you, would you spray them? White you couldn't, then? it wouldn't, it, it just, you, you, the amount of paint you'd have to put on it, you'd be putting so much weight on it and then mm. laminating it, it'd be sort of slightly different. And that it never kind of really caught on, unfortunately. Um, but then started the kind of the EPS epoxy thing again, sort of coming back into surfboards and surfing. Um, and then that started to, up until I think the first mate of mine over in Ireland, um, Barry over there was harping onto me about this Marco foam, this EPS that was, um, made out of recycled polystyrene and oh, can you get some on my boards because he's really 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 conscious um and i did as it happened then i i got a call from a guy in bristol um and he was bringing a couple of containers in and and i managed to get my hands on it and that with that bingo there you go and then along with that came a super sap resin um made by entropy resins that was completely bio so there you had this this uh, recycled blank which was made by surfers for surfers so it wasn't just polystyrene it was actually a surfboard blank you know it was it was like super fused it was compressed all the beads were compressed and so forth, rather than just being like virgin eps where all, all the beads are just kind of like loosely put together and they don't sort of tessellate and um, you had this proper blank and then you're covering it in this super sap resin this is this um you know this bio resin um and there you go bingo and and at the time um, it was a few, three years ago, I think now at Trestles, the boys, all the boys turned up at Trestles for the contest and it was like two foot and it was a week, two foot, but it was still clean. And they all had their normal boards built, but built out of this Marco foam and, and super sap. And they were surfing in, in, in like knee waist height surf as they would have done in sort of four to six foot surf on a PU board on these boards. And it lit up like people were like. I want that, I want that. And as luck would have it, which I've got to say, a lot of my um, career and things like that, like luck, I'm not going to say it's all hard work. Luck has been on my side a lot as well. It, I had my hands on all this stuff as well. And it, it, it's interesting that you say that. I saw a post by Joel Tudor a couple of weeks ago, and he'd um, dug out some Pat Rawson blanks. Uh, mm. belonging, uh, I think Bird from Bird Surf Shed in San Diego had found them in the rafters somewhere. And right. he made this big fuss on Instagram that he had, he found these, these blanks from the, I guess from the mid nineties. Right. And he, and he was, uh, he was all stoked on it, but funnily enough, um, legend of, of Welsh surf or, uh, John Abraham was around my house yesterday, taking a, um, a template off, um, my longboard because mm-hmm. again, he, in his rafters had found two, uh, Clark phone blanks. No. Wow. Really? Yeah. About 15 years old. And he was just having a clear out in his garage and found these, these two boards. Cause he shapes from time to time. 
Yeah. And I said it's probably worth him selling the blanks and buying himself a decent board rather than... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see someone stuff. selling one, selling a Clark blank. I, I don't know what it was on, but I did see someone had found a Clark blank. They, they certainly sort of sell it inflated prices at the minute, don't they? Mm-hmm. They're still mm-hmm. in demand after all these years. Yeah, 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 totally. Because it's now a... Um, you know, it's now a, a, a historic artifact of surfing, isn't it? A surfing folklore and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, definitely. Um, I did actually see, you mentioned Pat Rawson. I did actually see on his uh, on his Instagram or his Facebook the other day, one of those blanks on his stands. And he said, I'm really excited to get into this. This blanks. This I, yeah, old. I think that's the second part of the story. I think right. Joel had passed them on to him. There you go. Right, okay, yeah, we, yeah. We're actually going to talk about uh, Pat Rawson later because we have mm. a, a bit of a closer link to explore, I think. However, you guys are talking about this almost like it's finding like a bottle of champagne that you'd forgotten about downstairs in the cellar and you're going to bring it out for a special occasion. It's so funny you say that. It's uh it's Elliot's birth, Elliot Dudley's birthday today, and I went for a socially distanced beer with him earlier, and I told him about John finding these uh, Clark phone blanks, and he made the exact analogy. He said it's like finding a fine wine in the cellar after all these years. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, funny yeah. when you say that. But let, let's bring it back to shaping, Luke. Ap- uh, aside from shaping and glassing and laminating, you've also turned your hand to uh, board art in the past, yeah. haven't you? And, uh, I've had to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done, I've done the odd little paint job on my boards and they always turn out horrifically um largely i i put it down to not spending the time to to mask the board out properly and mm-hmm. and sand mm-hmm. it back and lacquer it afterwards it's right. painstaking isn't it to get it done properly it is it is but again it's repetition you know you um the more you do it the more the, the, the more the, the more you know the process and it isn't as painstaking some some are some spray jobs are really painstaking they really really are um but some of them, you know, it's, it, to get a real good looking board doesn't really take that long. And it's again, it's it's the it's the hand to eye coordination. And again, it's just repetition. You do it over and over and over again. And you can, you know, you, you become it's just a really weird thing to say, but you know that look, which different masking tapes will bend at a certain speed that you pull it along a board. Um I get that. You know, and they'll bend one way and they won't bend the other, they'll crease one. It, you know, I mean, this is this is real sort of geeky sort of stuff, but no one's ever gonna think, well, I've never thought about bending masking tape before. No. But it but it does. You know, of because course. surfboards are oh, I love stuff, it. you know. But yeah, I, no, uh, some yeah. Sorry, I I my hmm. my most successful um board art um declared in very large font on the bottom underside of my board that Nigel Farage is a willy head. No, and yeah, yeah. It was aired <laughs> it was aired on ISA uh, TV, was it? Well, yeah. Well, at least it wasn't wasted then. It was top on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get? Did you get any rep- any replies? Any retort from Nigel? No. <laughs> uh, there, there are a few names in British surfing that uh, had things to say, but uh, we soon defended them. It's fine. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that Nigel. No, I'm surf. pretty sure Nigel don't. Surf. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go along with that. Did you see that? Saying about trestles, you know, it, it takes some of the top surfers to use something sometimes for it to catch on. I have heard it suggested before that one thing the WSL could do, like they do in motor racing, is the WSL could start to impose stipulations like, you know, your boards have got to be made of X amount of sustainable materials. Mm. You've got to have them checked before an event. You've got to use this many boards across the yeah. year. That that would then drive innovation in the companies because all the stuff that keeps us safe in cars and all the stuff that makes our cars economic you know not uh, ecological it is because it trickles down from motor racing Ooh. doesn't it you were talking about that um you know we were talking about like these mass-produced boards earlier as well um which 
the pros don't tend to ride as much now. They tend to endorse them, but not ride them. And I was greatly amused, actually. Now, not that I was stalking you on social media or anything, Luke, uh, over the last... <laughs> doesn't sound like it. I'm wondering if you might remember this one, right? You posted a picture of a board that you just made, as in, like, look, I'm proud of this thing, uh, you know, whoever's picking it up. And then someone came into the ensuing comments and, uh, and out of the blue just asked you for advice on how to set up their fins on a quad from a uh, different sort of surfboard uh, manufacturer on, to hang you. Hang on, we're careful here. Uh, do we need to cold gar it or reg bow in it, Tom? Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, we can do that. So so if you've been you've listened to us, have you looked, we, we basically come up with, like, you know, names that I, keep the trail nice I and did. cold. So we had cold yeah, gar. Yeah, I did hear those. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, well, for this maker board, let's go with something really unrecognisable then. So we'll go with... Um, how about cheese? Yeah, would it, would yeah. it uh, perhaps be a bit fiery as well by any chance, Tom? It would be hot and fiery cheese, yeah. And, and the string might be very wiry too. But I think the trail is suitably cold, so it'll no, do. No, no, no. So anyway, this bloke, he bought himself a cheese Ooh. string. How, how about cheese stringer? Oh, Do they have stringers? Uh, well, we won't bother asking Luke. We'll keep a look out of it for uh, impartiality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway... This pick of a freshly minted loop board comes out, and uh, the commenter says, uh, hang on, yeah, I found it. Just the guy. Question, Luke. Bought a cheese string quad. Do you recommend four or twin, please? <laughs> Which I yeah. uh, can you, so what, what, yeah. what did you reply, Luke? Ask cheese string. <laughs> <laughs> you said what? Fair enough. Ask cheese string. Yeah, well. <laughs> I thought that was wasn't rude. It was you know it was polite um, and got myself out of absolutely something. It wasn't anything to do with me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, clearly, yeah. Uh, uh, Moving subject, on. A sub, yeah, a subject on the edge. We'll, we will move on, and I'd like to go back to uh, mention where we mentioned Bo Young earlier, and uh, in addition to Bo Young, you've worked some, with some interesting people over the years. Are there mm. any that that stand out uh, in particular? to you luke um well all of them to be honest because no matter whether it be a yeah, a glasser a sander a shaper everything you you de- you're never going to know it all um and you you watch someone do something and you think oh, why did why'd you do that how do why'd you do it that way and when you find out you think oh my god yeah and you hadn't really thought of that you know um but the the main one and i'll you um, were hinting at it earlier on, Rob. The main one was is Pat from Hawaii, purely because I was standing there looking at this bloke, knowing what he has done for that for big wave surfing, as it were, for his career. You know, um, and it just everything. When I stood in that shaping room with him, I was literally like burning holes in him. You know, everything that came out of his mouth, I was sort of analysing and thinking, you need to, you need to remember this because I'm. I'm you ask my missus I'm I'm I, it's not selective hearing I just don't remember stuff it just goes in and comes out unless I really really need to know it I could almost recite you conversations <laughs> from stood next to that man just because you know just the whole those you know, just those big boards you know and what they what some of these people are, are perfectly happy to take these big boards into and and perform on you know I the confidence that people had in that guy, you know, it was like, right, okay, you need to listen. You need to listen to this bloke. It was, of course, on on a Rawson board that 
like one of the most intense the turns, turns in, in the, the history of turning. Yes, perform. exactly. The Tom Tom on the little t- snap on the, in the, top on the little lip. tiny swallowtail. Yeah, 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 for sure. Out uh, like in a part of the wave at Pipeline that I think to this day hardly anyone goes near to nah, and gets back nah, out of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, yeah. I achieved that. I I saw that board on um in two pieces on the wall of. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was the shop in one of the shops in Haleiva, actually on the wall there with his in a in a case with his helmet. Yeah, mm. yeah. amazing. Because that same board, of course, in the heat before, um, this is going right back into to the sort of deep geekery here. Um, he he basically played a game of chicken with Derek Ho. Really, the pair of them going up into the lip together, looking at each other, and uh, and Ho chickened out and tom carroll spun round and made a super late takeoff and then pulled straight into the in fact no squared off the bottom stalled pulled into the barrel and came out and got a 10 for that as well so the snap actually never got a 10 but um it was one of the most intense late takeoffs you'll ever see uh, earlier on as well yeah they were they were basically trying to get out of the way of this wave (laughs) and carroll spun round and went so that shows you know how important the board that's under your feet is uh, in doing that like i said confidence in the guy who's built it for you you know that's yeah, for sure. But now everyone, like even like, um, and like the, I, I could, I could glass back along, but then I went and I worked in a factory in Bodmin and I was under the wing of one of hands down, one of the best laminators in, in, in the country in, in, in the world. Sorry. Um, Phil Northey, his name is, I, I hold him at like the utmost respect for big Phil. We call him big Phil because he's massive, you know, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> and he looked, he's, did there and he said to me you can glass can't you and I kind of went well yeah and he went forget it it's my way or the highway with this sort of stern face and he's he's a big shaved bloke and I was like yeah okay um but even so like I, you, you watch him just you know cruise around these you know, six trestles up with you know, all, all all cloth cut and everything and watch him go around and the way he the way he glasses now is is you, you find little ways of doing it yourself but do you know what I reckon if you put Phil on one trestle and me on the other I would still do. I, I would. It would be a mirror image because he's left-handed. I'm right-handed. Um, is, is that out would, of fear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And a little bit of. I wouldn't want to let him down because he, he, he's. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we. I, I still. I still laminate the way Phil taught me to laminate, and because it, it's just works, you know. Um, but I remember once he said, "Right, we were in. There was, we had a, a. We had a real rush job, and we had to get all these boards out." And he said, right, you do the cutout, so I'm going to start glass as you go down, like cutting the cloth out. And he started going, and he, and he kind of this, shouted this big expletive at me. I thought, oh, my God, what have I done wrong? It's only a cutout, you know. But the nose, where you snip the cloth up at the nose to lap, put the laps up in the nose, I'd cut it the right-handed man's way. So as he was going round, <laughs> as he was going round, he was like, whoa, and he, he was sort of trying to stick the other lap up straight away. Um, and I just didn't think about it. But yeah, that, that was sticking in my head because that was a moment like, oh, God, I've got that wrong. But he was fine. He laughed about it. But, you know, it, and that was it. You know, we did giggle. But that was all these little things that he knew how to do. And, you know, because he'd done it just thousands and thousands and thousands of times before, you know. But yeah, big feel, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so interesting to hear of that the kind of the unsung heroes of of surfing because they are the, the, the yes surf labor the, the people that that kind of make it happen but don't get any credit and for my sins i'd like to bring it back luke if i can to um a little story that i've heard of through the grapevine about uh one of your boards ending up in the hands of uh robbie page and mm, through yeah. him uh through 
uh, under the feet of Tom Curran on one of the yeah. research trips to Russia. Very tenuous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. do you know where that board is now? No, no idea. If that board is in one piece, I'll be massive. Very, very surprised. It was a long, long, long time ago. It was so long ago, in fact. It was before. It was before that. The, the, let's say, using the term, it was before the retro revolution happened again. You know, um, I was working um, in surfing life, a shop at the bottom end of town in Plymouth, and I was my boss, uh, Fordy, had he'd given me a, a porter cabin up where he lived um, to set up as a shaping room because we could. You know, I was doing the ding repairs for the shop and in there um and what we started to do is make some just sort of like cheap as we could mini mouse with, with the shop logo on so i was doing that and then i had the idea i said 40 how about if we if i shaped a couple of twin fins or a couple of single fins and things and put some sort of nice you know nice retro spray jobs on and sort of see how it goes and he was like yeah if you reckon so i did i made a few couple of twins um and a couple of single fins like real nice really nice colors and um, and I made this one twinny, um, and it had glass in, uh, white glass in fins. Um, it was all white with a red deck with a pin line around it, around the deck. And I was at work one day, and I knew it was all, I knew it was all happening, but it was the time of the, the rip, uh, the, sorry, the Quicksilver Crossing. Um, and the, I think it was the Silver Edition or something, like the Masters, like Mark Richards and like Titus and Jeff Hackman, and, and those boys were, were doing the trip around. I was in. So the boat was parked up in Plymouth Harbour. I, I believe. It? I believe that was that time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, if not, they'd just come round in like a minibus, as it were, you know. Uh, but yeah, the Indies Trader at some yeah. point was parked up down the Barbican. Yeah, and I got a phone call from Fordy up in my my uh, my first shaping room. Yeah, yeah. Um, he said, "Luke, you need to get down here quick." I was like, "Right, okay." He said, um, "The boys in here. Robbie Page has got his hands on this twin fin, and he's just." going bananas over it he's just saying this is what he learned to surf on this is this is him all over he said get down because he wants to meet you and i was like wow here we go this is green i was i don't know i was probably 19 something like that so it was like wow. really like oh i've got i've got it so i remember sort of switching off and like charging out and getting in the car and as i got in the car phone rang again for he said look luke they're on a real real um tight schedule they've they've got to go have you left yet and i was like no i'm, I'm just outside i'm just leaving and he said, look, do yourself a favor, let him take it and then just replace it. You know, just build another one, put it back in the shop. It, it, just, just do yourself a favor. And I said, yeah, okay. And I said, yeah, let him take it. No problem. So he did. Um, then I heard whispers of footage of him, at, at, like crazy Le Gravier, like solid, proper Le Gravier of him on this twinny. I asked her, I thought, I wonder if I could, you know, it, back along then, there was no Facebook, no Instagram. So you couldn't, you know, I mean, I don't know how I would have gotten to see all this stuff. But I did hear there was, oh yeah, he's been going nuts on it. And people are like, wow, Robbie Page is on a twin fin. Then I heard that as you know, the man himself, Mr. Curran had come back through France um, and borrowed said twin fin. And I was also told then off the back of that, Ripco did a Ripco search in Russia of all places. And by all accounts, he was on it there. So, I, I, you know, it, it's just, that but that surfboard sometimes isn't it you know they you know oh, can i borrow that mate can i borrow that and off they go and off they go but yeah so no i didn't actually shape for robbie page <laughs> or tom curran but apparently they're they're those hallowed feet have been on my on my creations yeah good huh? <laughs> that's epic and from the sublime to the ridiculous yeah, you've also had a few gigs making boards for like ad agencies yeah, I and yeah. i heard that 
one time an ad agency rung you up and they've just sort of said, you know, can we have some surfboards, please? You were like, what type? And they said, blue ones, <laughs> red ones, pointy yeah. ones. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> and then you just yeah, do a, that was for, um, that was madness. That was really weird. I was still spinning about that. That was for Ralph Lauren, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, and they, they were just props. On this show, we don't care about Ralph Lauren when we can talk about the goldie looking yeah, chain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've also shaped boards for the goldie looking chain. Not exactly, no. Or, not, or in fact, no, they were boards that you yeah. were going to. You were going to take somewhere, yeah. weren't you? And then, like, the boards got delayed because they, yeah. the GLC Someone were doing Look, some they sort wanted, of... They, want some, they, they, they need some boards. Can you meet up in, in Newquay? But, um, yeah, and then I went up there with these boards, and I, I don't even know why, what they were doing. But, yeah, I met the boys. And um, and you were a huge fan of Goldie Looking Chain at the time, weren't you? You know, you like you knew loads of the lyrics. Oh, off yeah, by yeah, heart yeah. I thought I, I broke the ice. You know the B-side? Yeah, did you? I broke the ice by, ask, <laughs> by asking Eggsy a couple of questions, and he was... He was laughing it up. He loved it. You know, I, you know that certain times, you know, there's the sort of the sort of celebrity can kind of sort of be a bit sort of like, you know, but he was just, when I asked him this question, he was just, he was all over it. You couldn't shut him up. He, he knew that I knew the GLC and he was well happy with that, you know, so that, that was, that was a fun and, afternoon. And yeah. Didn't, didn't you tell him uh, that, that I'd told you to tell him that my nan could yeah, take years or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was thrown back in my face because he then turned around and said, actually, my nan died last month. So she probably <laughs> is harder than my nan. And I thought, oh, oh no. God. Um, but he said, no, 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 it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, it was all, yeah. It was that like one second there. I was like, oh, God, thanks, Tom. But it was, no, it's fine. No, it's all good. No, they're, they're funny, funny blokes. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, your, your love of Goldie Looking Chain then, of course, meant that, that Newport has always been like a kind a of, mecca, you know, almost as important as the North Shore to you. <laughs> That's Nirvana, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. See John Frost yeah, yeah, Square. Yeah, and, yeah, culture roundabout. Hence my mention of the Roman yeah, yeah. ruins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get the chances, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, definitely. No, for sure. More serious topic then again. Mm. Um, from Wales over to Ireland. Mm. Um, quite a few of the boys charging Mullet mm. Moor. Have been have been using your boards as well, haven't they? And particularly uh, uh, the South African Barry yeah, Motters yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, Mikey, what, yeah. What what goes into making a board at that length? Because like basically you've been making. Well, is it almost like when you make a board for a grommet that's four foot long and you've got to scale everything down? Is it just the complete reverse? Um, you suddenly got to make a board that's like to a degree at face value, yes. But if you look at it the other way, um, you're going from making turning up in your factory and making a surfboard for a bloke or a girl to go and have fun at the beach with, uh, you're then going in there and making a surfboard, let's face it, that could potentially kill them, you know? So you, it's, um, you, it, it's, it's 100% concentration. And if you're, uh, well, if you're blase about it, then wow, you're, you've got more conkers than I have, you know, but it's, yeah, it, it's um, sweaty palms time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just, it is, um, no, the rockers are, I mean, like, like you said, you scale down a little tiny board for a grom, you've got to scale the rocker down, obviously it'll, it'll stop. And also from the, the other way around, you're right. You have to scale that rocker completely differently because for waves like that and some of the other, some of the other places out there as well, like it's all about paddle speed. You know, it's, it, you know, the, you, the, the only way these people are going to get into those waves is speed. You know, and there's only, you've only got, you know, they are just, he, these people are just, you know, ultra, ultra, ultra fit mentally and physically. But they still have to paddle that board in to these things, these walls of water that are coming at them at, you know, whatever speed. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you you hear about the the kind of relationship between the shaper and the surfer and i imagine shaping surfboards for these people that are kind of operating in such extreme environments does that make the the bond between shaper and surfer that much absolutely that much absolutely rob absolutely rob 100 here's a funny thing i've known i've been shaping for barry for i think we worked it out it's about sort of i think we've worked out about 12 13 or 14 years or something um i would i would class him as a good mate um we speak regularly ish you know we'll have a you know every now and again we'll have a, a chat over some sort of platform like uh, like a, a whatsapp or something um but do you know what i've never actually met him huh. i've never actually i've no never way. shook his hand no 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 but uh, exactly that you know this is we sit down and we have skype on or whatever and i'll have things going on in my on my um laptop and i'll be diddling drawing and i'll be doing this click 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 this that and the other what do you think to this you want to think to this or maybe we do this because he i've never been in the positions and i never want to be in the positions that um he puts himself in that that place is a different beast i mean when even when the hawaiians go over there they agree it's a different beast you know not only the 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 unperfectness of it, it the cold you know and Colder mm, water is denser, yeah. you know, it's heavier, you know, it's just it, all these, all these factors. Um, so yeah, no, and, and I think probably because of that, because um, I'm, I'm needing him to literally stare me in the eye and tell me exactly what goes through his mind at the point of fight or flight, as it were, you know, or the pullback or the go where they don't really have to pull back. They just go, but they, no, they can't yeah, be yeah, yeah. Um, they, and, and the other way around, he's then looking at me and he's saying, right, yeah, but when this happens, this, your board kind of does this. Is there any way we can sort of eliminate that? Or is there any way we can accelerate out of that or something? And the same with the toe boards for him. You know, that's, um, that's a completely different ball game as well. You know, that's making, that's making surfboards, um, again, learning to shape again. Uh, speaking of making boards um, and mindsets for big waves, we mentioned earlier your work with Pat Rawson and how you lapped up everything that you mm. you watched him do. How did you actually come to work with him in the first place? Right, I I worked back along. Uh, when was that? I think it was two thousand and four to two thousand and five. I went. I worked in a um, factory in Bodmin. Um, it was like a, produ- a production factory. That's where I met Big Phil and um, Larry Loggins, the sander, and Nick Williams, the just you know, the artist of just highest caliber. Um, and a few of the boys came through there to, you know, because they were sort of, they were, they were licensing, you know, doing boards under license and, and Pat came through there and he actually ended up staying with me and my wife. The kids weren't around then, obviously, but he stayed with me and Claire whilst he was here. Um, so I got, and I took him around where I live around the beaches and the cliffs and stuff. And so I got a bit more, um, a bit more of an outline of, of, of Pat rather than just sort of being in a shaping room and, and just everything. It was, it was just really, really uh, that even, you know, I'm, I am an eternal grom. You know, even, you know, if I was in a, if I met someone like that, even now I'd still be, well, we, you know, I don't, you know, it, it's the, you know, the, to me, because this is my job and not just my job. I love it. You know, it is still always going to be like, wow, this and that. But yeah, he's he stayed with me um, for a while. Um, and I, I'm still not sure really about it but i'd shaped a board for one of my good mates and i I just whipped a bit of the tail up and i just brought the rock up a little bit and he came in and he sort of like was he sort of had his 
nailing his teeth and he's <laughs> looking and staring down and I thought oh here's where you get written off you know by by a master here's where you get like you know holes picked up he said what have you, why have you done that? why have you just brought that there I said oh because you know you just you know you just get that little bit you know, I, I can just get a little bit more Bagsy his name Bagsy can just get a little bit more I don't know what it was a little bit more power from the bottom turns and like that and he went yeah I never thought of that before nice one and he walked off and I stood there for a minute and I thought was he just being polite or I don't know. But then that sort of sets in my head. Like, you know, and I read, I think it was Al Merrick actually. I read a thing many, many, many years ago. And he had said like, you'll, you'll never know it all because surfing is constantly evolving. Uh, what people, the parts of the wave that people are, are, are utilizing is constantly evolving. So therefore the boards have to constantly evolve and stuff like that. So you're never going to know it all. Um, and every board you shape, you will learn a bit more. And every person you stand next to who is shaping, you'll learn a little bit more as well. And I, I 100% agree because, like I said, everyone does it differently. And then as long as you end up at the same with the same, you know, uh, same answer to the equation, then it doesn't really matter how you got there. But it's not, you know, you do pick up different things from watching different people do different stuff. And it was kind of odd and a bit like, wow, to have somebody of that caliber say, oh, wow, no way. Yeah, good one. And walk off. Like, it's, it's amazing to hear about and and think about how many different things go into the equation because it's like it's like thumbprints or, or snowflakes or something like so you know each time you make a board it's like what's the person like what's their weight mm. like how do they surf what kind of waves are they going to use mm. it in and then you know, it's all pretty much never going to be no, the no, same no. now even if like when when the shaping machines came in you know came out and you know, you know we can replicate this board and whatever you're never going to get that same board. Like you said, the snowflakes and in thumbprints and that, you, you yeah. might have that board literally measured to the 32nd of an inch over everything, absolutely everything. It won't feel the same. And something will be different. Yeah, because there's three yeah. different pieces of wood down the middle of it from three different trees, probably, you know? Um, the, yeah. the resin came out of a different barrel, hands down, would have come out of a different barrel than the barrel of resin that your previous yeah. one was made of. A different roll of cloth. Probably maybe a different glasser, possibly, who might be slightly more heavy-handed with his, with his squeegee or not as heavy-handed with his squeegee. Yeah. Or, and the sander then might have taken, left more sand coat on. Or, you know, you, they are never, ever the same. If you get that magic board, my, perf, my, my personal view is if that board is that magic, when it comes to the end of its useful life, hang it up and just remember. Because you'll, you'll, I, I, I've tried. I've had four of the same board now for quite a while, and it, they are, they're very, very, very similar very similar off the same file the same file this one i've got under my feet at the moment there's just something different about it but yeah that, that's but that's just surfboards they are their own entities um and that's how they should be you know uh, yeah i had i kind of put that to the test yeah. i i had i picked up three dumpster divers of the exact same dimensions from the uh, channel islands factory in carpenteria in mm. california and all three of them surf differently and yes yeah bizarre yeah but it's good but like you say actually one of them was the magic board it was my favorite board of all time and it's hanging in my bathroom yeah. there you go you've hung it up because it's magic rather than yes. replicate exactly well done that was my point exactly i i've actually got one in the shed and i've been wondering what to do with it and off the back of your advice you're gonna hang it on the wall it's going yeah, on the yeah wall. totally well exactly you know there's certain there's certain boards that um if you sold them secondhand you wouldn't get back financially what it means to you personally is do you know I, what I mean so i've totally. um, a confession to make on live on crest i've never sold you, any of my my own boards 
Wow, I have, really? however, sold two of my dads. Yeah, does he know? He didn't know the one of them had sold. Right. I was like, so what happens to your boards? They're then, just Bob? kind of in the loft. Just yeah, in away, the loft yeah. gathering dust. My first yeah. ever board I had shaped um, by a guy, um, used to be a teacher in Portugal Comp, John Berry. You might know him, Tom. He's kind of our dad's era, surfing around uh, Portugal. And he moved down to Hossegor and he shaped out of Cap Breton for years and years. And I had my first ever custom board of him. And I know where it is, but it's no longer in my possession, unfortunately. It's sitting in my mate's shed, kind of rotting, and I haven't, Ooh. I can't bring myself to go and get it. Do it. It's really sad. So, yeah, yeah, um, do it. Just go and get it. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about travel, shall we? And you've been to the North Shore a couple of times. Yeah. Mm. It's a place you love, and it's a place you like. I do. Return to. I do. Why? I love it. And I would. Why would you love a place like that? Uh, I guess it's the, the rose tinted goggles. As everyone knows, it's, it, could be, it could be a dark place for certain individuals. Um, just, just in awe of the place. I mean, just you've never seen nothing like it. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, just the the. I say the scale of everything. Everything on the North Shore is kind of small, smaller than you'd expect. Like Waimea Bay isn't very big. Waimea Church is really small, and then you look out to sea, and everything is not very small you know um it's it, it just, just everything about it i guess as well if you add into it as well like all of us you know i've spent years and years and years of seeing it in magazines seeing it on videos and then all of a sudden you're breathing that kind of um that polony air um briny polony air you know and you're you're actually there you know and you're like right <laughs> Okay, what have I done this time? Sort of thing, you know. Um, but yeah, I am. Uh, I, lots of people I'd worked with and knew had been there and had given me like lots of pointers and, and tips and and things like that. Um, one of them was obviously to get as fit as you could possibly be, um, but in that sentence was mentally and physically because you know I'm I'm a five foot seven Englishman. There's no place for me, you know. There's no place for me at all. Um, so I was, I, as much as I hate it, I ran as much as I could to get my cardio up. Um, I would also, I would hold my breath whilst I was running and I'd stare at a lamppost quite a way ahead and I would run holding my breath until I got to that lamppost because I'd worked out, I don't know if I read it or I'd, I'd concocted it myself, but I'd worked out and told myself that if I could get my brain to recognize the carbon dioxide kick in, and be calm with it. You're never going to respire carbon dioxide. I get that. It's not about breathing carbon dioxide. It's not. It's a. It was about teaching my brain to not immediately panic when the carbon dioxide comes in, and you start wanting to you know, wanting to breathe to keep calm and just to get my brain to not panic as quick. Because I thought if you just give yourself five more seconds, that's five more seconds. You know. So I was. I did that, and I, I ran loads, and I did that this mind over matter and stuff like that. And honestly, 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 that I've never, you hear people say that, that was the peak of my physical and mental fitness. It really, you know, I, I felt as good as I possibly could be. Um, but then you get off the plane, you drive up from Honolulu up to the North shore. You always arrive there from LA at nighttime. So you see it in the lights. Then you go down the beach the next morning and it's just like a kick in the teeth. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, Oh wow! Wow, we like you know it's um. And where was your favourite wave? 
you know what? I went out there, like all of us, I went out there with like pipeline, pipeline, pipeline in my head. I got there, watched the first day we were there. We got up one morning and it was, it was kind of gray. It was overcast. And it was side shore, which it is a lot on the North shore up there. Um, very wobbly. And it was, I've never seen waves that big, that close up because it is that close up, you know, cause obviously it's like a, you know, it's like, it's a volcano going into, into the, the ocean. Um, and as we walked up sort of from pipeline, sort of along sort of off the wall up that way, crouched down out off the wall was, um, Nathan Fletcher with a, with a board on his lap against the wall. And I'm pretty damn sure I'm, I'm going to throw it there and say, I'm pretty 99% sure it's Keikoa Bacalso sat with him. And they were just kind of like looking like, kind of, is it surfable? Is it not? And, and I just, yeah, again, like just your blood just runs cold. Again, like my wife's going, wow, this is amazing. And I'm just going, oh God, <laughs> what have I done here? Um, but yeah, so the, my mind was that, but very, very quickly, very quickly, it was just sunset. Like every day, let's go to sunset. I just found, I found a rhythm there. Um, don't get me, you know, don't get me wrong. I didn't, you know, by any means surf it like big sunset, anything like that. But for an Englishman, you know, I, I I give it a good nudge for what I, what I could. Um, but yeah, sunsets, sunsets stuck in there. You have to ride a big board there. That, that isn't, that's no lie. What you see, wherever you, as soon as it's three, four foot there, you need a big board. It just is thick, you know, it moves and everything. But I just had uh, the best day surfing of my life was a Tuesday morning. The best morning surf of my life was a Tuesday morning there. Um, cause pipeline when, you know, when, when I did go out of pipeline, it was, small pipeline because you know you know you, you think you're a bit you think you're a bit of a nutter and then you go to the north shore and you realize you, you, you're small fry um when you do go out there you anything that comes in look what you're what you are allowed to get is the scraps is the rubbish mm. you know there it's there's any given day there is a lot like you see lots and lots of people in there who are very 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 good and very very hungry for waves you know so that's kind of Straight away, you you're like, yeah, okay, fine, that's no problem. You know, you get you get a couple of the scraps, and then you're done. But yeah, sunset for me. Clearly, Hawaii's left a, a big mark on yeah on you, Luke. Are there any other places that that really stand out in your in your mind? Yeah, I had really, really, really good fun in Barbados. Um, my the guy who used to be my sander, um, I went out with him many years ago. Um, it was just 100 fun. We got great waves. Um, like what I call holiday waves, you know, nothing. You took a shortboard and you were covered, you know, for every everything that got. Well, yeah, we had we surfed soup bowls with like two or three other sort of local boys. That like really, really good fun and just super great. Um, as you, you know, like barley, you know, it, barley in the bucket. That's just fun, you know. Good waves there. But I yeah. will say, and I will say, and I think Tom will agree with me. One of the best trips I went on was to the Outer Hebrides. Um, and it yeah, just, I was there. What a trip! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, just everything kind of fell into place. Um, I remember seeing the video of this this trip as a grom. Tom and Matt Hapgood sat me down and made me watch. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe watch some little right hander breaking into a harbour. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just yeah, we had we just got like linked up with a, a guy who's an absolute legend who lives up there. And you, like I said, everything fell into place. Some I, I, I've said this quite a lot this week, just about a few different things, but. Sometimes it's just your day, isn't it? You know, and, and that, was, that was stars aligning. That was a great trip. Really, really good trip. I mean, I, I didn't expect to get 
waves of that quality up there. And hearing that also come out of a guy from Western Australia, who at the time was on the WQS, who agreed, who actually it came out of his mouth, not mine, that, yeah, it, it was testament that, that that was a legit good trip. Yeah, good fun, real good fun. Yeah, you're talking about the, um, yeah, the then WQS charger, Jason Duffy, um, mm. and he, he must have spent minutes in the tube at that right hand every search, wasn't he? The phrase I used watching him, the way he took off, he would swoop into the barrel. Yeah, he? He, would, he would yeah. go from way, way, way behind it. And his arms would be behind his back as he dropped in. Mm. And as he sort of as he as he slammed it all on the rail off the bottom, like the arms came forward and like all of his body weight and his momentum went like all onto his front foot as he sort of come up like up into the face. Um and he would be way behind this thing, way behind. And Numerous times you'd be paddling back out after getting what you thought was a really good one yourself, and there's just this barreling wave coming towards you, and you're like, "Oh yeah!" And then he would just come flying out of the abyss into like a massive great air reverse, you know, and but kind of land the way you see people sort of buttering and popping on a, on a snowboard. Do you know what I mean? You like toying mm. with how it would land, and that you know, um, yeah. And then again to have him come say in so mine honestly boys this is just I've, i didn't expect to get barrels like this this is incredible was just like right, you just tick the box yeah 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 but duff mm. really duff showed us how it was done didn't he bless him <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Definitely. He, did. he did incredible yeah. sir yeah so you you mentioned uh jason duffy uh landing his air reverses mm. in a kind of a snowboarding manner yeah and you yourself uh, a keen snowboarder and skater aren't you luke Yes, skateboarding more than snowboarding. I love the snowboarding, but I live in the part of the UK where it snows the least. Um, <laughs> so that's <laughs> uh, it, it rains the most and snows the least. Um, so, yeah, that's only sort of as and when I can. But I have um, one of my best mates, actually, he's a, an, an Australian fella, Reese, who now lives in Germany. Um, and I'll, when I can, I'll hop over on a plane over to him and we'll drive into the Alps in Austria and have a bit of a silly time for a few days in, you know, burning around the Alps in, in Austria. And I do, I really, I, I like that. I really do. like. I love the fact that you get on a lift and after spending so much time in the sea, you know, and, in and you, sometimes you're sitting around there for ages, bobbing about, you have a chat, you have a nice social, but you get out and you don't really have a great deal to show for what you've been up to, but you go snowboarding, you get off that lift and you do 50 turns. And then you get on that lift again, and then you do another 50 turns. Um, and you can hone that turn because it, it, it's right there in front of you, you know? And then you can hop off, which one of Reese's favorite things he makes me follow him do, hop off the piste and go off backcountry. And then you, that then turns into another sport completely as well when you're in powder compared to being on a piste, you know? So you are more surfing then, you know? And it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do love my snowboarding, but that's, um, I'm a rookie to snowboarding. Um, but skateboarding has been in my blood since I was, oh, I, think I'm, I think I was five. I think I stepped on a skateboard when I was five, and I haven't stepped off a skateboard since. I, I love my skateboard. So another reason why we've got to stop this quickly here is because uh, Rob Blythe is a part-time resident at Les Arcs, and uh, if you let him start telling you his snowboard tales, you'll be here forever. Um, yeah, we're in there. We're in the hole because we know, again, that international travel has been banned for at least a little while yet. So we're going to have to try uh, and see if we can do something now, Luke, about all this stoke for travel and snowboarding and all this that you've just filled us up with, right? Um, 
we've been running this this nightmare surf trips feature for a little while now, and uh, it has proven. Oh, hang on, can I butt in there? Can I butt in there? I've just forgotten when you said about traveling and so forth and trips. I've forgotten pretty much the major thing in my life. Oh yeah, Australia. (laughs) Where I met my wife. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, yeah. Australia you, too. Yeah, I spent a long you can time. Now in tell her it's okay to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, love. Yeah, Australia as well. Yeah, good, good, good times. Good times in Australia. Sorry, I, I butted in there. Yeah, I, I, I have got to come in here now and be, be the Stoke Grinch because none of us are going it's travelling for down. a while. It's, it's all downhill for now. Away. Yeah. Come on, Rob. Get us okay. out of this hole. Okay, this week we have a submission from South Australia, a town called Marion Bay, to be precise. We have a few listeners in that part of the world, as it happens, and Wayne Edwards is of Welsh descent. In fact, he recently did a trip to Chirk Castle in Wrexham to see his ancestors' logs in a doomsday book. Now, that's dedicated Welshness. Now, Wayne is a pretty well-travelled individual, and that's putting it mildly. This gem goes back a few decades to some of the earlier days of surf travel, and it's a harrowing read, all right. It kind of has a happy ending, but we've allowed it past our senses anyway for reasons we'll discuss after the tale. Here we go. Now, this tale is set in 1978 when travel wasn't easy, and Wayne has titled it Alien Days. We travelled by cargo boat from Sebolga to Teluk Dalam on Nias. We boarded the boat, which was about to depart, but in fact, left two days later. The locals call it Jam Karat, or rubber time. With a sigh of relief on the second day at midnight, the old diesel motor came to life, but was shortly drowned out by a clap of thunder so loud, all aboard jumped at once. A tropical storm erupted, torrential rain hammering on the tarp above our overcrowded deck. Just when you thought it could get no worse, the rain shifted horizontal, as we cleared the harbour to open seas, drenching us within seconds. I crawled into my old army disposal sleeping bag and spent all night being soaked on deck. Sunshine woke us, but I emerged shivering. Strange faces were pointing and laughing. I looked down and saw vomit all over my jacket, which was not amusing at all. I threw it overboard and the locals were fishing for it. They offered it back, but I politely refused. I then discovered that my hands, my legs, my arms, face and hair were bright army disposal green. I guess that's like an Australian term for army surplus. Army yeah, disposal. Must be, yeah. So we <laughs> we finally arrived at Teluk Dalam and had to walk 12 kilometres to Lagundri village. Our accommodation, which was a smouldering heap due to a tribal feud over a young lover. Three Americans out surfing lost everything and had to leave, which left us the uncrowded break for two weeks. An Aussie and a Kiwi. Peak season Nias. Complete heaven. We walked up to the other rival village to find accommodation, but no one would come out of the long houses. The whole village was staring out through their windows. Don't forget I was still green, and they probably thought that I was an alien. We finally got a platform on the boat. The first Lozman yet to be built in Nias. It seems like yesterday, but that's Jam Karat. Rubber ton. There's a side story about the surfboard on this journey which I was then forced to leave in storage in Penang for 10 years. Found again, then lost again near Gulls Rock, South Australia, then found again. I call it my boomerang board and I still have it to this day, minus the stringer due to Asian white ants and the moth-eaten board bag. It still has a hole in the fin where I used to attach my handkerchief-held leg rope. 
I have other horror stories such as dehydration on Grudgigan and the chicken killer of Savai, Western Samoa. But they can wait for another day. Oh, do, do. Now, that's a tale of hardship for waves for sure. But what we really loved about that one was the way Wayne threw in those little additions at the end. How do you end up leaving your board in Penang for 10 years? Well, um, t- to follow up to this, well, Luke, can you imagine that happening? Leaving a board in Penang and getting it 10 years later? Nah. <laughs> Those people kept it there. They didn't sell it. or That's unreal. Well, they, that is absolutely they unbelievable. They did. And, uh, yeah, I, I've actually, th- this one turned out to be, um, I, I, I phoned Wayne um, about this. And uh, Wayne has agreed to give me a little interview for our next uh, episode on this one awesome. because uh, there awesome. is quite quite a tale behind that surfboard. That actually, I think, turns out to be the bigger part of the tale. Um, yeah, have, have you ever come across one of your old boards somewhere really wild before, Luke? Um, no, not really wild. I mean, some of my friends have kind of nailed bits of their boards that they've snapped in places that um would be great advertising for me but yeah that's that's as close as nothing nothing from further you did say to me once i remember that it's very rare that somebody takes a surfboard to landfill isn't it they do seem to have like these lives these mystery lives as decorations ornaments exactly 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 this is um i for sure for sure i um I used to teach the University of Plymouth when they had the surf science course. Um, and because you've got, you know, these sort of fresh young bucks coming through and stuff, um, the, the question you would get thrown at you regularly was, how do you go about um, the eco thing that's happening now? Um, uh, recycling. This was the recycling. Yeah, yeah. And, and sort of the noxious chemicals and disposal of it all and certain the other. Um, argument's the wrong word, but my... The second part of my argument, you know, I said, you know, I do everything. I, I pay a lot of money to have all my waste disposed. And I have to have a certificate at the end of the year to say it's been disposed of legally by a, a proper contractor and everything like that. But I, and I'd say to them, how many surfboards have you thrown away? And they'd, they'd, be, they'd always be silent. They'd be, uh, uh, and I'd say, right, put it this way. Right, I handle, let's say I handle at least five surfboards day in, day out, every day of the week, every month. Um, I've only ever taken one surfboard to landfill. Um, that was because somebody bought me this board to copy. They said they wanted a copy of it. This thing was, it, I was just beaten beyond belief. And to like, you know, when it had been, um, hadn't been repaired for so long and it'd been surfed and surfed and surfed and the foam is, is gone. Like in the swallowtails, it's the foam is like an inch back from the jagged fiberglass. It was just gone. It's, you know, it was like that. And it wasn't, it would never, ever, ever have been worth repairing. And he said, right, okay, no problem. When I come and pick the new one up, I'll come and pick that one up. When he picked the new one up, he was literally on his way to the beach. And he said, oh, I'll come get another time. And he never did. And it kicked on the factory and it kicked on the factory. And it just wasn't, it just needed to go. So it went. Now, that's the only one. And like I said, I handle a lot of surfboards. It's the only one that's gone to landfill. But there's also nothing to say that someone had gone to take something to the dump. And as they got there, they saw that surfboard. What are you doing with that, mate? Take it. It's not a problem. Yeah. You know, they, they, you tend to, like Rob said, his loft is full of them. You know, then they're, they're not doing the environment any harm because they're in Rob's loft. Um, you sell one on, Rob doesn't, but you sell a board on to, um, to a Grom. Yeah, to you, that board's lost its pop, lost its spring. But a Grom has just come off a, a, a Minimal or his dad's big board, whatever. Mm. It do, he doesn't notice it. 
you know, he writes that for a few, she, he, she writes that for a few years. Um, yeah. you know, they, and then like you, then like you said there, Tom, like in, as you get, um, when you go over the, the Anahuli stream bridge, like that, that famous white rainbow bridge in, into Haleiwa, there's a house on your right, on your left, sorry. And the, um, the fence is snap surfboards the whole way around. So therefore they're not in landfill. Now they're being used for something. And now everyone, no, we have to be, but everybody's so sort of conscious of, of um, using what we can. Um, they're being made into sort of pieces of art, you know, uh, bars like to have them to line the ceilings mm. of the walls, you know, and yeah, that is a kind of, and then, and then, you know, that story there, you know, is it Wayne, is it, you know, that's Wayne. when if, if that's not, if that's not, um, you know, eco, like if you, whoever ordered that board originally is a custom, whether it was Wayne or not, I don't know. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's never been a landfill. It's been looked after for 10 years. The other bit I really mm. loved about the, the mention of the uh, the Asian white ants eating the stringer of this beloved board of Wayne. You're so, putting back into the environment. I, I was also <laughs> wondering if those Asian white ants had, uh, had maybe literally mistaken it for a cheese stringer. Boom, boom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah moving swiftly anyway, on with that. As I said, I couldn't leave it at that. So I have phoned Wayne, and yet he's agreed to a little recorded interview, and, and he has elaborated plenty about this boomerang board. It's an absolute pearler. Um, that's going to get rolled up into what we plan to do um, for the next show. Um, a, a nightmare sir, story there, Luke? Uh, no, I'm, I've been, I'm, I'm a bit like Rob. And like right now on your last podcast or you podcast, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I'm lucky for a start a lot of the time. Um, I haven't really got anything really. I mean, maybe the start of, maybe the start of the, uh, the Hebrides trip that could that <laughs> potentially, potentially could have been. Yeah. 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 So when we, when we left, Ullapool there the on the ferry you you know we sort of trundled through the inner hebrides didn't we and it was like a lake and then as it went past the last of the inner hebrides it literally stepped yeah. off a very big cliff didn't it and like boof and it's coming over yeah. the front and yeah and it was only i think it was you me and duff were left standing i mean it, like the everybody pretty much the whole boat was just evacuating their digestive tract weren't they it was just horrendous <laughs> like you just and i'd actually had I think I, I think it might have been Steve at Carve rang me and said like, "Oh, you, what are you doing? Have you not looked at the charts? There's not going to be any surface any other." And then, and then when this was going on, he rang back and he'd obviously <laughs> looked at a different chart and said, "Do you need a photographer?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, it's all good. We had one. We had we had Mark Lumsden, didn't we? Rest in peace, Mark." Um, but yeah, so yeah, but that that potentially could have been flat. But it really, really wasn't. And but the seasickness amongst the boys was that was horrendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my abiding memory of that boat trip was the sight of poor uh, Tristan Jenkin um, just lying on the floor. So now he was thick. Now he was across the seats, wasn't he, with his head he over the bin? The seats, that's it. <laughs> and he had so little. He had no spew left in his body to leave no. his body, but still his <laughs> body was spewing. And yeah. every time he looked up. There was a camera in his face filming him. Yeah, lucky boy. Yeah. Very empathetic. Mm-hmm. What a friend sport. And thank you uh, very much again, Luke, for that tale. And we're going to yeah. add uh, Wayne, Wayne Edwards' story and yours, Luke, to the grand final we're going to hold 
which is going to be the contents of our next show. A massive thanks for coming on, Cress Luke. No, no, thank you. Thank you. It was good. I think it was Tris Cokes uh, of the legendary label Tris Surfboards, wasn't it, who uh, once described Luke as someone who just lets his work do the talking. Um, well, I've got to say, it's been quite nice today to have heard uh, your talking, do some of the talking too, Luke. Uh, and you're pretty yeah. good at it, I have to say, so thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, Tris did say that to me. That was very humbling from a person of his stature. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll be hearing a little reminder of that tale from Luke on the next show as well. Some of the highlights from Rhino's many horror stories, even though he wasn't aware of it at the time that they happened to him. And those of Harry Cromwell, Emily Williams and Andy Martin. And Tom's going to explain Lane a little more to finish. Yeah, so this idea germinated really when uh, Robbo and me were knocking around content for the first show. We thought, hey, let's talk about how bad surf trips could be since nobody can go on them at the moment because of this horrible coronavirus crisis. Uh, and from there, a lot of people started sharing their worst haps from a, a range of trips. I think it must be like a, a way of releasing the horror of it. Perhaps maybe they're, they're absolving themselves by getting these tales off their chest. But the tales did come thick and fast. So what we're going to do next is welcome a third guest presenter to Crest uh, for the next episode to help us work through the stories we got and to sort of celebrate how bad uh, travel can actually be. Indeed. And our guest presenter next week is fresh off a cancelled round-the-world trip himself. Elliot Dudley will be joining us in our virtual studio. Yeah, as I said the first time, my heart absolutely bled for him when I realised that there was going to be an end to his smug, dreamy Instagram pictures. Uh, and so anyway, now we've invited him on Crest so that we can taunt, uh, uh, sorry, I mean, question him some more about that horrible experience of getting forcibly repatriated during a pandemic. Uh, we've also found someone who was in that group of UK nationals locked down in Peru and flown back. Uh, he had to sit and look at Shikama break empty for a month. Uh, and we're going to go back over all the listener and guest ones today, as Rob just said, as well as a few more. We're devising a criteria and we're going to give out some awards. Uh, the, the Eurovision trip gone wrong contest, uh, I suppose, of lost stoke, injury, penury and rotten luck. It's going to be a blast. And you'll get to hear more about Wayne Edwards's boomerang board, too. And there is quite a side tale, as I have promised you. Uh, if you've got something you want to send us please do at castcrest at gmail.com. And also don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, where you'll be able to see the growing number of neon tiles, which denote our backlist of episodes to date. Uh, we're looking forward to the next one. Uh, and besides Luke, uh, of course, can we say a big thank you to you, the listener. Diolch am grando, aguela chietro nesa. Bye. One, two, three.